Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here. Just if you don't know, I'm uh, Walt's wife, Carrie, and I just speak from time to time. I'm not a pastor on staff, but I have the privilege of sharing, and I always enjoy doing that. And if you've been around this summer, you all know that we've been in this really great series called Culture Shock, and we've attempted to address a lot of tough issues like politics, racism, social media, the role of men in society today. And today I'm going to speak very directly about a very controversial issue that um, has never been discussed to my knowledge at Glad Tidings and is very rarely discussed in churches um, in the United States as far as I know. And I'm going to speak as plainly as I can. And the subject this morning is mental illness. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. I ask that uh, this morning would be uh, life-filled, hope-filled, and um, your word filled. I pray that everything I say would be your words and that it would um, take root in the hearts of everybody that's here in Jesus' name. Amen. So mental illness, as I'm sure you already know, uh, has just is being diagnosed at an increasing pace. One in 11 uh, people approximately will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. That means out of 11 people... There's 10 in this first three rows, so approximately um, that much um, in this whole audience. Um, one in every 11 p- person will either either currently has been diagnosed with a mental illness, has been, or will. Um, and then every normal person um, will typically have about 15 people that they're friends with or close to when you include their family, like their nuclear family, and there maybe they're a few coworkers and then like a few friends or something like that. So if the average person has about 15 people that they would... <clears throat> consider that they have influence in their lives or they're close to, and one in 11 people have mental illness, that would mean that every single person in this room right now either has a mental illness or has a very close friend or relative that has a mental illness. And those numbers, it actually be some people in this room would have more than one. So every single person from a statistical perspective in this room is affected by mental illness, and those are conservative numbers. So... Um, So using um, the word mental illness, it's a very big umbrella. I think that's part of the reason why the numbers feel like they've escalated so much because it can go anywhere from PTSD to ADHD, autism, eating disorders, anxiety, self-harm, depression. And then you have like the hardcore ones like um, antisocial personality disorder and different disorders that are like schizophrenia that are really significant disorders that that a lot of times you'll see in movies or they'll serial killers or something like that. But it can also include... Uh, like dementia and Alzheimer's, because that is also a mental illness. So there's a lot of things that fall under the umbrella of mental illness. Even addictions are considered a, a mental illness. Um, but anyway, the so that that means that a lot of our kids that are currently in um, we build, build kids or we grow kids are on medication. That means multiple senior adults that are with us this morning are on medication for mental illness as well as as uh, getting treatment in some way. But this problem is, is um, dealing with mental illness is often misunderstood because it's a very difficult thing to talk about. If you have a mental illness, it's a very difficult thing to talk about it because it can be very embarrassing, very humiliating. And so it's a very private thing. Typically, um, people 
have silent suffering. A lot of times Christians will be conflicted about whether to get treatment or not because you don't know if it's like sin or mistakes or a demon or something you did in the past or a lack of spiritual strength. You know, you're not strong enough spiritually or you parented badly, you know, and that's why your kid has HDHD or it's heredity or something like that. But mental illness is not a respecter of culture or ethnicity and it's not a measure of intelligence. In fact, some of the most creative and intelligent individuals in recent history or, you know, relatively recent history are considered to have had mental illnesses. Even political figures like Link, uh, Abraham Lincoln and Winston Churchill, a lot of people like Beethoven, Van Gogh, um, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther, the, the reformer, um, John Nash, lots of scientists and stuff like that. A lot of celebrities have come out recently trying to weigh, raise awareness of mental um, illness. But there's actually a disproportionately large amount of people with mental illness that are very creative or very intelligent or things like that. Now, I'm not a medical doctor, and the reason I'm talking fast, and I know you're going to say, well, you always talk fast, but um, I'm going to talk especially fast today because this is a big topic. This is something could be, that could be talked over 10 weeks easily, and I wanna, I'm going to already not be able to address some parts, and I want to be able to hit on as many things as possible. So just try to listen as fast as you can, right? Or, you know, get the, get the podcast and, watch, and listen to it on slow motion, you know, the next time. Okay. Anyway, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a clinical psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a theologian. I am not a credentialed minister. I, I do go to graduate school um, in psychology, but it's in a totally different subdiscipline. It's not related to abnormal psychology or clinical psychology. But I have personally processed mental illness in my own life, which I will explain a little later. Um, I have held meetings with multiple pastors as well as university faculty, and I have run almost everything that I'm going to talk about this morning past a spirit-filled physician um, that attends our church, Dr. Bumi Dada. He has treated many patients with mental illness. He's a very respected theologian. He does a lot of Bible teaching, and I value his opinion. Um, he's also been my personal medical doctor um, since the day we moved to Omaha and has even delivered one of my children. He gave me permission to use his name and reference anything that we had discussed in the process of talking about these things um, this morning and to use his name, so I appreciate that. Um, the uh, The... When I was in India, like a few years ago, maybe, I don't know if the Kunuts are here, but there was, I built a friendship with someone that in my small group, and I ended up going and visiting their family in India for a few weeks, a couple, a few years ago or so. Well, it was a great trip, and everything went wonderful and very smoothly, and I had a really great time and everything. Um, and I was at the very end of my trip, and there was, um, I was staying at the husband that attends our church, who does, actually happens to also be a medical doctor, but that's unrelated. Um, so I was in the house of his mother, and um, the day before I left, there was um, a neighbor, and I don't know if it was Ramadan or what Muslim holiday where they, like, uh, they cook a goat or a, a, a lamb or something like that for part of a religious observance, and what they do is they typically share that meat with neighbors and stuff. So anyway, the day before I left, the, her Muslim neighbor gave her some meat, and actually, I didn't know this at the time, but um, it, we ate it along with dinner with the other things we were eating. Well, that night, I um, I got this terrible stomach ache, and it was like a really bad stomach ache, and I came down from where I stay, and I was like, do you have like any medicine for stomach aches? I have a really bad stomach ache, and I had felt fine the whole trip, and she immediately said, she said, she said, I knew I shouldn't have served you meat that was sacrificed to idols. And I was like, it was really 
powerful experience to me because my first instinct about my stomach ache was I need to get some Rolaids. Her first instinct about my stomach ache was that it was spiritual in some way. And I realized how um, we can often just as individuals, because of background or whatever, look at situations in our life differently. The same exact situation, you know, was my stomach ache spiritual or was my stomach ache natural? I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. It doesn't really matter. But the, it was an eye-opening experience because her instinct was that it was spiritual and we needed to pray about it and, um, and that would get rid of my stomach ache. And so it really taught me a lesson. I think in some ways that's really um, a, a good example of how mental health is viewed in the Christian community because there's this spiritual and there's this biological tension at the heart of mental illness that we're all trying to sort through. And in the church, there can be a strong argument made that mental illness has a root in spiritual warfare, demonic activity, and outside, um, outside the church people t- pretty much think it's the common to say that you treat mental illness with, with medication counseling, right? And so there, I understand why Christians can have the, the angle that many spiritual Christians have the spiritual angle, because there's a lot of accounts in the Bible where people that have demons or whatever, Jesus casts them out. And a lot of their symptoms could be like out of the DSM, you know, they have like antisocial behaviors. They have hallucinations, delusions, they're hearing voices, violence. There's two main stories of Jesus casting out demons in the book of Mark. Both of them, the people were doing weird stuff like that. Like a lot of times you think of um, for people that have really severe mental illnesses and Jesus casts out the demons. But um, there, so there is a a spiritual side to all things in our life anyway. And we know that, and we know the thief has come to kill, steal and destroy, but God has come to give life. But the the idea is processing that in terms of other things in scripture as well. So I want to just point out a couple things and we can process them together. But the first is the third instance. I told you about two instances in the new Testament of Jesus casting out devils. I want to show you the, a third, and that's an instance where um, a mother comes to Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 15, and this one's a little different, and I want to show it to you. We're going to go real fast. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyrene and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman came from that vicinity crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Just hold it. Now, if you can go back. Now, this is the plight of every mother whose kid is going nuts, right? And this is what her assessment is when she goes to Jesus. It's like, this kid is either demon-possessed or needs medication. And um, in the past, it might have been like a joke. And sometimes in reality now, it feels legit, you know. Like I have this friend who has a son that is very violent, you know. And he's just like totally just does really violent things like grabs knives and things like that. And I remember when he was a young child, he, she like in the doctor's office said, and this is what we do about different things. When you go to the doctor, you're like, I want you to give me something and I'm not leaving this office till you do right? So that's what this lady said to Jesus. She's like, my daughter's got an issue and I'm not leaving until you tell me what to do. Now let's keep going. That's exactly what happened. And she, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. She's Gentile. The woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. She said, which is the plight of every mother whose children have mental illnesses or not, or physical illnesses in other way. And he said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Look how persistent this mother is. Go ahead. Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was, what was she? Healed. 
Jesus never reinforces the mother's self-diagnosis that it was demon possession. And it doesn't say in this case, in this instance, it doesn't say that, Je- that Jesus cast out a demon. It says that he healed the daughter at that moment. Very interesting. So the mother had this off behavior and she was right to do that way. Jesus was not phased by that problem, but he didn't back up the mother's self-diagnosis of demon possession, but he was able to heal regardless of it, what it was. The three instances where people were behaving weird, Jesus healed all three of those people. They were just one, a couple might've been spiritual based and one might've been physical based, but regardless, Jesus is able to heal. So whether it's mental illness or demonic activity, Jesus is able to heal whatever we face. Now, at the same token, there are many godly leaders in the Bible that clearly experience depressed moods, suicidal ideation, um, without there being a mention of a demon possession or demon activity. And um, this is not even close to the, all of them in the Bible, but I want to just throw out some to you. If you knew the DSM, some of the language, the verbiage in these verses in the Bible are almost exactly symptoms that are listed in the Bible with people with anxiety, depression, and stuff like that. It's almost weird. Hannah, she wept. She would not eat. She was deeply distressed and she wept bitterly. Very common symptoms for um, depression. David, now I personally, now this is, I'm not a theologian. You know, you can talk to Dada about this later or whatever, but David, I think had bipolar. He went from dancing in his underwear to just kill me. Everybody hates me to, I'm going to build a $7 million temple to, I, these guys all hate me. I regret the day I was born to, um, uh, what, oh, he had sexual exploits, which is a symptom of bipolar when you're in a manic episode to do things sexually that you shouldn't do. He's got David and Bathsheba. About half of his Psalms to me seem like they're when he's depressed. Um, there's a, I can't remember the other thing I was thinking of, um, that he had that shows a high in David's life. But there was a a lot of of things like that going on. Dangerous activity, like let's go kill 2,000 people, you know, Um, very aggressive type of thing. Um, So anyway, so, and then he would be really, really down. Now, there was no mention of David being, David being in sin, really, about, um, uh, or his depressive behavior being sinful and it doesn't, didn't keep him from being used by God, right? He was highly used by God. He was a critical uh, figure in the Old Testament and the whole kingdom of Israel. And yet he had his behaviors. Jeremiah, Elijah, he said, I would rather, um, I just want them to come back and kill me. He was after he had this major like revival and stuff. And then like a few days later, he's like, I just want to just kill me. I, I would rather die. Jeremiah 20, curse the day I was born. Job, I have no rest, but only turmoil. A lot of these spiritual leaders, it's like something really good happens. And then they go down and they're just like, I'm done I'm sick of this. I regret that I was born. Judas committed suicide by hanging himself, which is still a method that is commonly used today for people um, killing himself. Paul, who um, was wrote half the New Testament, says in 2 Corinthians, I am burdened beyond my strength. I despair for life itself. I feel like I have received a sentence of death. Even Jesus in in, uh, Luke 22, when he's in the garden, he says, um, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, I'm not implying that Jesus was clinically depressed, but he was basically saying, I am not looking forward to what I'm facing here. Would you just kill me now rather than me having to deal with that? Now, I don't know about you, but I have felt like that before. You know, like something hard is just like, don't want to deal with it. Take me now. 
That's essentially what Jesus was expressing. Now, in none of these examples are people reprimanded for being demon-possessed or depressed. Um, And there's no pattern of the weaker, dumber, most unintelligent, um, spiritually or physically people being the ones that were affected. Um, A lot of people in the Bible had very stressful events in their lives, and there's no record of it causing depression or anxiety, anxiety or suicidal ideation. But for some, it did. In the same way as today, different people can experience the same thing. Some of them, it will plummet them into depression, paralyze them with anxiety. You know, some guys that go to war, they're fine. You know, other guys come back from war and they're like frozen and unable to function in society or hold a job or keep a marriage together. And it's like the same experience. If you look at childbirth, um, you know, Almost 90% of all women will give birth at some point in their life. And usually less than 10% of women will experience some kind of postpartum mental disorder, whether it's anxiety, depression, you know, um, whatever, um, of all those combined. And so you have a lot of women that give birth and it's not a problem. And then you've got some women after they have a baby, it's like they're out for the count. They have completely changed. And I was one of those people um, when after I had three kids, my first two, I was fine. After my third, Ann was born, I just like could not snap out of it. I just felt terrible. I just laid around all the time. I cried all the time, you know, did a lot of all. The, I'm not going to go on and on about it because we, so many of us have experienced depression or understand just the common symptoms. And I basically had a textbook case of depression. I like couldn't make decisions. It's a good thing that peanut butter and jelly sandwiches have all the necessary food groups because my other two kids, you know, survived on peanut butter and jelly for the, you know, the, for two years or whatever. Um, but anyway, so what happened was, is I went back to the doctor a bunch of times. This was before there was a big awareness about postpartum depression, the whole Brooke Shields, you know, tells the world or whatever. And, um, and so this was like 15 years ago. So I would go back, get my thyroid check, get blood drawn, whatever. And, and it's like, everything came back fine. And I just kept saying, I do not feel normal. I couldn't make decisions, you know, very basic decisions about what to do. Um, and all this kind of stuff. Well, anyway, what happened was one day in the Walmart of this went on for about a year in, in the wall, uh, parking lot at Walmart. And there's just, I'm just telling you, there's no telling what could happen to you in the parking lot of Walmart. You know, you can be approached for a drug deal. You know, you can get your tires slid or people could give you a hundred bucks. I mean, you never know what's going to happen there. But anyway, so I was listening to, um, to a radio program and on the radio program, it was talking about depression. It was talking about the symptoms of depression. And when I heard it, cause I had never even thought about depression. I mean, I just was not a down type of person. I didn't know anybody that had been depressed. It just never crossed my mind. And when I heard, I started crying and it was, they were tears of joy. I was so happy. I was like, I'm depressed. I found out, you know, what's wrong with me. So anyway, so this was a Saturday. And so I decided I was going to talk to Dr. Dada on Sunday, the next day, because I thought I've already gone and had a bunch of blood work and stuff like that. And maybe he'll give me a prescription for an antidepressant without going back to the doctor because I've been there several times. And so I was all ready to go and I said, I'm going to catch him in between services. And so I was sitting here and I was sitting in service and I was going to ready to catch him. Dr. Dada was like sitting over in this area, you know, I knew where he was sitting then. And so anyway, during the worship service, a person in the choir had a prophetic word and it was God is your healer. Trust in me. You know, don't worry. I'm alone. I'm your healer or something like that. And I was like, 
I was like, I cannot even believe that just happened. I was so mad, you know? I was like, that is not helping me right now. You know what I'm saying? And so anyway, so I come down to the altar in my in the middle of worship, and I'm just like, God, I don't know what to do. God, help me figure this out. You know, I thought I had it, like, all decided and stuff, and that the prophecy really confused me. And while I was in at the altar... Um, I felt like God said to me, and I say that very um, carefully, and I would say he said something to me like that, like maybe five times in my life or whatever. And I'm like super spiritual because I'm a pastor's wife, so I'm just kidding. Okay. No, actually, this might be the only time, to be honest with you. No. Okay. Anyway, so um, I'm sitting at the altar, and God says to me, he says, I am your healer. Now get up and walk down the aisle and talk to Dr. Dada. And at that moment, I realized God was my healer. But for me, he was going to choose to heal me through a medicine from Dr. Dada. And it was a huge, huge turning point for me. Um, It was very humiliating in the first place to have to, you know, try to acknowledge that I had this and that I might need medicine to get over it because it doesn't feel like if you have heart disease or something, you just forget your, your mind is a, is an organ, just like everything else. And so anyway, so I went out in the, in the, um, lobby and I talked to him and I said, you know, I think I'm depressed. He said, okay, anyway, I, we don't, I need to go through all that. But the point is he, he wrote me a prescription right on the spot. He said, I'll call in a prescription right now to the pharmacy on a Sunday. And so I began taking it like immediately. And in about four to six weeks, somewhere in there, I kid you not, it was like the light bulb in my brain turned on. It was like somebody kicked my train on the track. And all of a sudden, I felt like I was my normal self. Now, I know that everybody doesn't have that experience, but the point for me was reinforcement that I had been obedient to God in his method for, to heal me. I didn't stay on the medicine long term. I didn't have to because it, it, I felt so good. And actually, I f- stayed on, a, you know, like um, at six months, he said I could go off, but I was so nervous to go off, and I ended up staying on it for a year. And then I've never taken antidepressants again. And my depression was a true chemical depression because when I took that medicine, it just... It worked like a charm, you know. But anyway, um, so sometimes God miraculously heals something without medical assistance. Sometimes he uses a combination of both those things. And sometimes he does it without any medical intervention. But it's not, regardless, it's not the doctor's job to heal. And it's not the altar worker's job to heal. In all cases, it is only God's job to heal. And our job is to be obedient and discern how he wants to heal us in this situation. My rule of thumb is this. It's like a common cold. If you have a cold for one week, do you go to the doctor? No. If you have a cold for nine months, do you go to the doctor? Yes. Same way with depression. That's why there's this misunderstanding about depression. You know, every time Pastor Raphael gets a speeding ticket, he gets depressed, you know, and you come into the office and you're like, and you're like, why are you depressed? And he says, because I got another speeding ticket. You know, does he need to go on an antidepressant for that? No, because it's temporary until he gets his next speeding ticket. And then he's in a cycle. But anyway, I digress. The point is, is that if you use that rule of thumb of any medical condition you might have in your body, 
you know, and that rule of thumb for medical illness, mental illness is the same thing as anything else in your body. And you can use that as a guide to know, you know, if you're having a bad day, it doesn't mean you need to go on an antidepressant. And so it's a good, it's a good, um, but if you're in the pit of despair and your work is suffering, you're sleeping 12 hours a day, you have suicidal ideation, you're trying to figure out how to end things for nine months, then you need to see a doctor. Now listen to this very closely. You do not get spiritual extra credit in life for suffering more and avoiding healing, whether it comes from supernatural or natural methods. You do not get spiritual extra credit in your life for avoiding healing and suffering more, regardless of whether that healing comes from supernatural or natural methods. If you are given a blood thinner before you have surgery to thin your blood so you don't have blood clots that kill you in the middle of surgery, would you consider it a lack of faith to take the blood thinner? Or would you look at it as God's provision for you, his means for keeping you alive during the surgery? Someone say amen. Medicine is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of trust in God's process of healing in your life. If you have been given a promise over your child or yourself and you feel a direct leading from God to avoid natural medicine, that's between you and God. And we can all agree to pray for complete healing for you. But I want you to think about something. If you had a broken, I'll walk over to this side. If you had a broken arm and you went to the hospital and they put on a cast on your broken arm. Would that cast be what's healing your broken arm? No. What's healing your broken arm? The natural process of God's creation in your body to put blood flow through those, through those bones and to do whatever happens. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. Something happens in there, right? That just happens um, by God's supernatural healing process in in your arm. And that's what heals your arm. Most of the time for a broken bone, they won't even give you medicine unless you have like super like, like thin bones or something. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor, but the point is, is that, is that the cast, what the cast does is, is it holds your arm steady so that the healing process can take place. There's a natural and there's a supernatural healing that takes place in your arm when you break your arm. Now, if you didn't put the cast on, how do you think that healing job would go in your arm? How do you think that would work out for you? Not very well. In the same way, that's how people think about mental illness. I want God to heal it, but I don't want to put a cast on it to hold it steady while God does the healing process. Somebody say, wow. However, if you're on medicine for long-term without improvement, you know, if you take cholesterol medicine for 20 years and you still have high cholesterol right? Is that medicine working for you? No, exactly. So in the same way, if you're taking medicine super long term and there is no improvement, then maybe, you know, maybe there's something else going on um, that, that you need to consider. Response to medication is a very good sign that it is mental illness and should usually improve, you know, but if you, um, for example, bipolar is a great example. Bipolar has the highest suicide rate of any mental illness, and it has the highest, um, the highest recovery rate of any mental illness because it's so responsive to medication. 80% typically is what they say. 
But anyway, so you can same, use the same guidelines for biolog biological medicines and psychological medicines or physiological medicines for your brain. If you're taking an antidepressant for 20 years and you still feel horrible, maybe there's something else going on. Maybe there's a spiritual component going on. Maybe there's a natural component on. And maybe, um, maybe that's why that medicine isn't making you feel better. Now, because I want to hit on as many controversial topics as I can in 20 minutes, I decided that I'd also like to talk about suicide briefly, okay? Um, now, did you know that three times people die of suicide three times more in the state of Nebraska than homicide? Two-thirds of all completed suicides occur with people that have mental illness. Now, Robin Zacharias, who is a real smart, like, uh, apologist guy, he's, like, real, real brilliant. He, he like, argues for, like, the, why the Bible's true and why God is real and stuff like that at, like, campuses like Harvard and stuff. He's very, very respected. He actually attempted suicide when he was young and obviously unsuccessfully because he's alive. And, and he talked about... Um, about suicide and the challenge with suicide is there's no absolute answer you know and he said well i wouldn't want to meet the lord after i've taken my own life because um because i don't know and i'm made in the image of god but i want to talk very directly right now um to people in this audience that are have either have some type of mental illness or have a low sense of hope or something like that to um to address to you what i think and what you need to be thinking about in terms of of contemplating suicide now first of all if if you have people telling you there's voices in your mind that are telling you to do things that you don't want to do that's a red flag, you know, and maybe in addition to going to the doctor, you need to think about going to an altar worker or deliverance or whatever, because if there are voices that are talking to you to do harm to yourself or harm to other people, and that's against what you would want to do, that, you know, that's not normal. And you might want to consider that there's a spiritual component. I still encourage you to see your doctor, but you also might want to um, seek someone else that's spiritually mature that can help you. But if you are... Uh, a person that is depressed or you have bipolar or you have a lot of anxiety or you just are without hope, you lost your job, if you have considered suicide at any time in your life or you are currently uh, thinking about suicide, I want to directly address it and I want to talk to you about uh, of what you should be thinking about in terms of that. When I, um, I would suggest and you can you can use this if you have a loved one or a child or somebody that is contemplating suicide or you feel like you need to help someone that is contemplating suicide that what i would suggest is that you find one thing to hang your hat on to to as to why you should not commit suicide and you use that one thing every time you want to commit suicide so maybe for you it's that i think i might go to hell that's your thing. I think I might go to hell. I think that it might make God unhappy. Your thing is, I think it might make God unhappy and I don't want to make God unhappy. It can be other things other than God because sometimes I'm in that place. It's like, you know what? I'm not worried about God. I'm worried about trying to make it through this night. Then what you can do is do something else. And this is an example of what I did when I was suicidal. I said, I don't want my kids... I don't want my kids having to go to school tomorrow and tell their friends that their mom committed suicide. I don't want my kids to have to do that. And that was the thing. If it weren't for that line, you would not see me standing here today. I decided that it was better for me 
to lay in bed for 12 hours than it was for me to have to tell my kids to have to tell their friends that their mom committed suicide. It's better for you to be a hundred pounds overweight and for your kids to have a fat parent than it is for your kids to have a parent that committed suicide. It is better for your kids to have a parent that lays in bed all day and can at least say bye or hi than it is for them to have a parent that committed suicide. You can think about it in terms of what would be left. If you're a young person, a teenager or young adult, if you commit suicide, you might be missing from a couple days from now entering into the purpose of your life. What would have happened to me if I would have committed, or to everybody, even to you guys, if I had committed suicide 15 years ago? I had no idea what the rest of the course of my life would be. I had no idea I was going to feel better. I had no idea that there was hope to move on. The same for you if you're a young person. If you're a young person, you don't know how close you are to to just moving into the next phase of your life, which you have no idea what it is. If you're a senior adult and you have the onset of dementia or onset of Alzheimer's, dementia of the Alzheimer's type, it is worse for your family for you to commit suicide than it is for you to have dementia. That's a worse thing. It's better for a kid to say, my dad died of dementia than it is to say my dad died from killing himself. So you find one thing like that, that you can hang on to. If you have a propensity towards depression, anxiety, self-hatred, all that kind of stuff, even if you're not suicidal today, you pick one thing right now and you say, what, what should I tell myself every single time that I think that? I'll tell you guys right now one reason why is service supposed to be over already? Good grief. Okay. I'll tell you why everybody in this room shouldn't commit suicide. I'll tell you why. And it's not going to even be a Sunday school answer. Because if you committed suicide, it would devastate me, even if I didn't know you. You know how I would feel if someone in this church committed suicide that came and I say, wow, for some reason, the worship or the message didn't connect with them and they didn't feel the hope that would devastate me. So you can think of me and you can think, wow, I don't want Carrie to not have hope. You see what I'm saying? It's the survivors, it's the people left over that suffer. If you're a survivor of suicide, that's the hardest thing to, to recover from because it's not just somebody dying. You have to recover from somebody dying and somebody that chose to intentionally remove themselves from your life. And that is not possible to understand if you haven't understood it. So we acknowledge your pain and you're allowed to grieve as long as you want about that, okay? So survivors need healing too, just like people that have suffered from mental illness from the two thirds. So listen, so listen. We have family, we're the body of body of Christ. God can heal us either way. He can heal us supernaturally. He can just right now hit you with a lightning bolt, knock you out and your brain gets on track and that's that and never happens again. 
Or he could, he could lead you to go talk to your doctor. And you call the doctor's office tomorrow morning and you make an appointment to get in. And you go right to the, and you don't feel guilty about it. And you have to call your insurance. And you have to humiliate yourself and say, do I have coverage, you know, to go to a counselor? Do I have coverage? And they say, and they say well, have you ever been admitted into a psychiatric hospital? That whole process is very, very difficult. But you know what? It's better because that might be God's process of healing in your life. And by choosing not to do that, you're choosing to not give God the opportunity to bring wholeness to you. Yes? Yes. So what we're going to do, what we're going to do is we're going to all stand. We already established at the beginning of this message that every single person in this room is impacted by mental illness in some way. It's either you now, you in the past, you in the future, or it's your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your friend. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing this song and we're going to sing this as a reminder of that God is our healer in this process. God is our healer. He's strong enough and big enough. He's strong enough and big enough to even reach down and touch us in this area. If you are the person with mental illness, I want you to sing these words. Can you put the words up, please? I want you to sing these words for yourself. If you're a person that is not a person that personally has it, but you know somebody, I want you to sing these words for that person, for that person. If you don't feel comfortable singing out loud, I still want you to sing out loud or at least mouth the words or something because this is a serious matter and we need to put our hearts and our heads and our brothers and sisters' hearts and heads in a place to be, receive total healing by the living God. So let's let's sing this now in faith believing of God's ability to re resurrect us. Sing it out. By your spirit, I right here, from the that's what will happen. Come on. The resurrected King is resurrected. In your name, I come alive to declare your victory.
If your parents have Alzheimer's, dementia, if you have anxiety, if you have PTSD, if you have OCD, if you are depressed, bipolar, schizophrenia, everybody. And if you know somebody with that, it doesn't have to be you. If you have a friend with one of those self-harm teenagers, if you have someone at school that is slitting their wrists, I want you to come down and be prayed for for healing. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. of everybody here in this building. God, I pray for hope to rise up in everybody here. Hope and love. God, I pray for your spirit to rest on your kids here. God, I pray for us to see things from your perspective, see your ability to help us and heal us by whatever means necessary. God, we, I speak hope and life. Hope and life in the name of Jesus. Hope and life in the name of Jesus. It's not too late. Prayer workers, make sure you don't pray too long. I know that's weird, but we got people in mind. Prayer workers, get right to it and move on to the next person. Unless you feel strongly otherwise. Please, if you feel like you have to exit, please do so quietly. You can have your conversations outside, but we're not going to officially dismiss. If you need prayer, stay at these altars. If you need prayer, stay at these altars. If you need to worship Jesus, continue to worship him back there. But be blessed, and we'll see you next week. Surrender.